We continue our sermon series from Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. This morning we're looking in Matthew 6, finishing up the rewards of the means of grace. We're looking this morning, as we looked last week with Chris at at the first part, Matthew 6, and the idea of giving this idea that the rewards of the means of grace is that we get God. That many times that, that we see things and that, that our balance and that what we think of a reward may be necessarily not the presence of God. But we'll see, hopefully this morning as we look further into this, that, that truly that the more that we dig into what Jesus has to say here, the more we see that God's present in presence indwells in us and that becomes more and more our desire and becomes more and more our reward. So we're going to look at Matthew six, starting in verse five. We're going to look through verse 18. Matthew six, starting in verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. In heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Before we jump into this morning's Bible study, I want to go back and ask God to bless this time. And I would ask, as I pray for us, that you would pray for me. That God's Holy Spirit would fill me and allow me to step out of the way so that he can speak to you. And so I would ask that we all pray together. I'll pray out loud. You can pray silently. And let's ask 
And whatever it is that God has for us to hear, to understand, to know this morning, that we would open up our hearts and minds and that we'd be willing to change our lives to become more like him. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you once again and we ask, we plead. Come here, Lord, fill us with your presence, because we know that if you are not here, this is just an exercise in futility that would be a waste of time for us to come if your presence is not here. And so I ask now that you would come with your Holy Spirit, pray that you would fill me and fill each one of us, that we would hear your word. That it would speak to our hearts, that we would be open To what it is that you have to say, whatever that may be, that we would take it and not just walk out of here and forget it, but that we would take it and apply it to our lives, Father. That We would take it. And use it. To mold our lives to become more like Christ. So I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak, that you would be honored and glorified. And now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. A couple of years ago, I remodeled my kitchen. And it literally was a top to bottom job, front to back, everything. And so one of the first things that that we did when we were remodeling the kitchen was to tear out the flooring that was in there. It was an old linoleum and to try to put down some new tile because the linoleum was, was ugly and it was starting to crack and it just wasn't nice. And, and the tile, you know, was much nicer. And so as we did this, tear out all this, this linoleum and in the process of this, and I sort of knew this already, but Nothing in the house that I live in is plumb, straight, or level. So anytime that I get into a project like this, there always has to be some sort of fix that goes in before I can do what I'm actually trying to do. And so I actually had to put down some new subflooring before I could actually put down the tile. And so to do that, it required me to drill into the actual concrete flooring foundation of my house. And so... So I get all the materials together and get everything there and and I'm ready and I have my drill and I go to to drill and I bought these, you know, special drill bits and I bought these these special screws and I'm getting ready and I'm going and I get my drill and I'm drilling the first hole and I get down and bam, the thing, the drill bit snaps off. Like, all right. So I pulled the, the little board up and I got like, I mean, maybe like a dent. In the concrete, and that's it. I'm like, all right, well, this isn't really going to work. So I'm like, well, well, maybe the drill wasn't fast enough, and maybe I just wasn't pressing hard enough. So pull out another drill bit and try it again. Same, same thing. It just snaps off. I'm like, okay, got a problem here. So I did what any reasonable person would do in that situation, and I called my dad. And I said, Dad, I got a problem. I don't know what to do. And he said, It sounds like you need a hammer drill. So the second thing that I always do whenever I do a project is I go buy a new tool. So he said, go to Lowe's and buy a new hammer drill. 
So I did. I go to Lowe's. And of course, I'm doing all of this at like nine o'clock at night. So, you know, I race over to Lowe's to try to get there before it closes. Buy, buy myself this fancy new hammer drill. Buy myself like six more drill bits. And come back. I'm there. Get everything all loaded up and ready to go. I've got my new hammer drill. I'm all excited. And a hammer drill, I don't know if you know this, but it's got a handle on it too. So I've got some. Now I'm like two handed. I'm ready to go. Regular Bob Vila over here. Now go down. I mean, same thing. It snaps right off. I'm like restrained from throwing the drill through the sliding glass door. But I was just eminently frustrated. I couldn't figure out what to do. So I called my dad back and I'm like, the hammer drill just doesn't work. So we're talking through it. And finally, after about five minutes of talking through this, he says, go back and look at the drill. Is there a switch on there anywhere that switches it from a normal drill to a hammer drill? And I'm like, that's stupid. Why would there be a switch on there that switches it from a normal drill? to? A, it's, I bought, it's called hammer drill. That's what it says on the box. He says, you just go look. I go look and sure enough, there's a switch that shows a little drill bit on one side and a hammer on the other side. So I flip the switch and sure enough, I go back to my spot, two-handed, smooth as butter. I mean, just right through there. The thing is, I had the tool. It was right in front of me. I knew what it was. And yet, the power that I was, that I had there, I wasn't taking full advantage of. I mean, it was right there. I knew it. I knew I needed a hammer drill, but I just wasn't taking advantage of the full power that I had at my disposal. And so I think that when Jesus is here teaching us about prayer and fasting, Jesus is laying out for us the tools right there for us to become more like him, to come to a place where we can change our lives to become more like Christ. And they're right in front of us. But so many times we choose, like I did with the, the hammer drill, to just keep it on the other side and not exercise the full power that we have to us. And when we follow Jesus' advice for prayer and fasting, we then bend our wills to him. We declare our reliance on God, and He gets all the glory. He is the one that gets the credit. So what is the purpose of prayer? I mean, what is it that we see here from, from Jesus? And I think the first thing that we can see is that the purpose of prayer isn't so much for us to read to God a list of our concerns, Certainly that is an aspect of prayer, but that isn't the primary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer is to glorify God. Look at how Jesus starts out this prayer. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, hallowed, we know, is just a big fancy word that means holy. And holy is a small fancy word that just means different. Set apart something completely other. And basically anything that is holy 
It's basically used to be described and to describe God. And so the point is that holy is his name, not our name, not our church's name, not our pastor's name. Holy is God's name. And so when we pray, and this is one of the things, too, that Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't go and make a big production of it and let everybody know I'm here praying and I'm on the street and I'm in the synagogue and, and this is a giant. No, go in secret where your father sees and pray to him there. The purpose for us, the purpose of everything that we do should be to glorify him. But the purpose also is to mold our lives and our hearts and our wills to his. Because to pray is to change. And it isn't to change God because we know that God is unchanging. It isn't changing God's mind. Instead, to pray is to change and it's to change us. Prayer is the central avenue through which God uses to change our lives, to change our hearts, to change our minds. And so when we pray, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. God's will be done. Not Sam's will be done, but God's will be done. And his kingdom, think about this. When we ask for his kingdom to come, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're praying down giant armies of angels to come and take over and that will overthrow the president? Well, no, not really. We're asking for God's presence because what good is a kingdom without a king? You can't really have a kingdom without a king, can you? It doesn't really work like that. So if God... We're asking for his kingdom to come. We're asking for his presence to come. We're asking for him to come and indwell our lives. And we know that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes and indwells our lives. And so when we pray, we should pray and ask that God fill us with his Holy Spirit. Because we know, we know. That it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that our will will change. Because we, well, I won't confess your sins. I'll confess mine. I know that I am stubborn. I want to hold on tightly to my ideas. And I want to pray Sam's will be done. Not God's will be done. I need his kingdom to come in my heart. Because my heart is sick and full of sin. And I need the power of the Holy Spirit to come in me. So we pray his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And I think when we pray, one of the ways that we bend our will to God's is to become satisfied with his provision. Think about that phrase, our daily bread you think about the idea of the Israelites when they were wandering around in the wilderness and God gave them bread from heaven and they called it manna, which basically means what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. It was bread from heaven that God provided for them to eat. But the catch was 
But God provided enough for one day. That if they tried to gather up more and kept it in their tent overnight, it rotted and was disgusting. And so each morning they would have to get up and go out and gather in the manna. And so I think one of the ways in which we bend our will to God is to become satisfied with his provision, what he has provided. To come to a place where instead of running after all these different things. That instead we rest in him. Now, this is difficult because I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a culture that thrives on dissatisfaction. There's an entire industry of advertising that is built up in telling you that your life is not complete until you shave with this razor, until you use this shampoo on your hair, until you drive this car, until you own this newest phone. And so prayer helps us to push back against that a little bit, to combat that, to come to God and to say, God, I know that there are so many things in this world that are telling me that if I just get this one more thing, that my life will be perfect. But I know that's a lie and I need your power to come in me. I need your power to be satisfied in what you God have provided for me. And so prayer bends our will to come to a place where we're being satisfied with his provision. And then we come to this lovely phrase and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And one of the other ways that we mold our lives to God, that that prayer is used to bend our wills to him is through forgiving other people. Because I think when we come to a place of forgiving other people, we recognize that, that we're all equal. We're all sinners. We're all broken. And we've all wronged God. And so because God has forgiven us, we then have the ability to go out and forgive other people. And if we don't, If we don't, we're then saying that we're better than God. Because God does not hold a grudge against me for all the things that I did last week against him. No, I come and I ask and I confess and he has forgiven me. So who do I think I am? To not forgive somebody else. If God. Who sees all the things that I've done. All the things that I haven't done. That I should have done. All of the sins. Knows everything. And forgives me anyway. Who am I. To hold this one little thing against someone. Am I better than God? Of course not. And so when we forgive others. We are reminded of how much God has forgiven us. And it becomes yet another way. That we bend our will, our desire to God. And we also understand that if prayer serves as a pipeline to God's presence. Unforgiveness becomes a giant clog in that pipeline. 
And the only way to clear that clog of unforgiveness is to forgive whatever it is that we have to forgive other people. And that's not an easy thing. None of these things are easy things. This isn't something that we can just go out and say, oh, well, I'm good. I'm going to be completely satisfied with everything that I have. I'm just going to forgive everybody that cuts me off in traffic. I'm never going to get mad. No problems there. I'm good with that. No. These are tough things that we need God's presence to accomplish in our lives because we can't do it ourselves. And we recognize this and Jesus leads us there. So we begin to think about this and we think about all these things. We start to get overwhelmed. And then the prayer says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus recognizes that we will be overwhelmed by all of these things. And so we pray that God will deliver us from evil because we know that we cannot deliver ourselves. We cannot save ourselves because left to our own devices, we will screw it up and make a mess of it every single time. Over and over And so the purpose of prayer is to glorify God. And when we mold our lives to him, when we begin to do that, we begin to see that God is the one that gets the glory, not us. So practically, what is what does this mean for us? I mean, how how can we accomplish this? Well, the first thing we have to recognize is that prayer is a learned behavior. Jesus here is teaching his disciples to pray. We don't start out being awesome prayer warriors. That's just not how it works. In the same way that my sons, who are one, are learning to crawl and learning to walk. They're not going to line up and beat me in a foot race. It's just not practical. You don't learn how to ride a bike and then enter the Tour de France. It doesn't work like that. You have to build up to things. And so prayer is a learned behavior that we have to learn. We have to practice it. But prayer also is listening to God. I don't know about you, but I don't really enjoy conversations that aren't really conversations, but are more of a monologue when someone just kind of sits down and just sort of opens their mouth and everything comes out and you can't even take a breath because this person is just talking and talking, talking at you and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, they can. And they're just talking and all this happened and then that happened and not a conversation that's a monologue prayer is a conversation we need to stop in our prayer and listen to god and if you're anything like me you start praying and then you think oh well maybe i should stop and listen and then you think well what are we going to have for dinner tonight and and then and why didn't you go to the grocery store well i should probably call my wife to make sure she's not going to the grocery store and somebody's gonna and then It's going to take discipline. It's going to be hard. It's going to take practice. We're going to have to come to a place where we recognize that we need God in this. It requires discipline, just like anything else, like exercise or running or getting up and coming to church on a Sunday morning. There are times when you're not going to feel like you want to do this. But discipline requires that you sometimes do things 
that you don't exactly feel like doing. And think about people that have become great athletes. They become great athletes just because they woke up one morning and said, I'm going to become a world class athlete. No, there are days when they don't feel like practicing. They go practice anyway. The same is true of prayer. There are going to be times when you don't feel like praying. And that's okay. But you should pray anyway. Because it's in those times that we probably need God's presence more. We need God to come and fill our lives. And then we also see that prayer is most effective when it's practiced in other disciplines. Look at where Jesus has situated this in his sermon. He talks about giving to the needy. He talks about fasting. It's right in the middle there. Prayer is not the only avenue in which God works in our lives. That prayer is most effective when it is used with other things, with fasting, with meditating, with times of silence and solitude. In times of giving, all of these things combine to make us become more like Christ. And so we understand now. In prayer, what we maybe ought to be doing and how our prayer lives ought to look a little different than maybe they do now. And then Jesus moves into fasting and says the same thing. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. And so, again, we get the idea that in fasting, the purpose, again, is not to glorify ourselves, not so that we walk around. Oh, I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten in four hours. I'm about to die. My stomach is eating itself. Oh, I can't handle it. No, that's not the purpose. The purpose in fasting is to glorify God, not to draw attention to ourselves, not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. And this is why Jesus, again, gives us this warning. And when we fast. We have an opportunity much in the same way that we spend time in our service each Sunday morning in a time of confession, of silent confession, to sort of reorient our lives in fasting. The idea is to remove something out of our lives so that God can reveal to us what it is that is controlling our lives, what it is that we've allowed to take the place of God in our lives, what it is that we've allowed to take up our time. It doesn't necessarily have to be food. You can fast from other things besides food. And there maybe are some things that maybe we should fast from besides food. And so I don't know what it is that that is in your life. But I think we could do well to fast from different things in our lives, from from things like our technology, our phones, our television. Computers can fast from things like sports, take a step back and recognize that there are things in our lives that we have set up. Basically, anything that is taking time out of your life can be fasted from. And as we fast, we recognize that God uses this time of deprivation, this time of of not having something 
to restore some balance back into our lives where we've gotten out of whack, where we've set up whatever this is, food or whatever the other thing is. And we've said we're so dependent on this and we're, we're at this place where, man, I have to have this. Well, no, science tells us that you really don't have to have food. And you think about one of the most basic things. I have to have this, this food. Well, no, this, this idea of fasting shows us that we can survive. But it also reveals to us that that God is ultimately the one that sustains us. And as we take these things out of our lives for a period of time, it allows us to recenter our lives, to refocus. And that we can come back and understand in a deeper, more clear way our dependence on God for all of these things. So if we want to fast, what ought we to do? Well, the first thing that we need to understand is that this is a physical act that is undertaken for spiritual benefit. This isn't just abstaining from something. Which may have some benefit in and of itself. And there are some health benefits from fasting from food. But more importantly, this is done for spiritual benefit. And so we need to come to a place where we recognize that this becomes a significant step on the path of self-denial. The idea of taking up our cross daily and following God will sometimes involve putting away some things that in and of themselves are not bad, but maybe have taken up too much space in our lives. And so it helps us to see a little more clearly. And so we understand that this becomes a physical act that is done for our spiritual benefit. And we understand that it's required for true discipleship because Jesus says anyone who would follow me must take up his cross. We must die to ourselves, to our sinful natures that is out there grabbing and filling our lives with lives with all sorts of different things other than Jesus Christ. And so when we fast, we pause, take a breath, recenter, refocus on Christ. And we understand again that it should be taken, undertaken in addition to other disciplines, that, that we shouldn't just skip meals so that we can spend more time reading. We shouldn't just, you know, Take television out of our lives so we can spend more time on the computer. No, this is this is to be done in addition to the other disciplines of the Christian faith, of prayer, of meditation, of time in solitude, of silence, of reading God's word. We do all of these things. It should be done carefully, thoughtfully, regularly. Because Jesus says, and when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. This is something that we should do regularly. And so there are times that I think that we should take stock of our lives and say, Lord, what is it in my life that I'm allowing, be it food, be it something else, to take up all this time in my life that could be better spent bending, trusting, growing in you. And when we come to this place, when we follow Jesus' advice for prayer and fasting, 
It is then that we come and we bend our wills to him. We declare. More than anything, we declare to ourselves. We declare our reliance on God for all things. And ultimately, as should be our intent in everything, he, God, is the one that gets all the glory. So I'm going to close in prayer as I finish. I'm going to ask that we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Keeping in mind all of the things that he has shown us. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we recognize that indeed we are fallen, broken, sinful people. And that apart from you, we don't have the ability to do any of these things. And so I ask that your power would be at work in us because we know that we cannot do these things on our own. And so I pray that you would help us to take the word that you have shown to us this morning and that you would help us to apply it to our lives so that we can become more and more like you. And now let us pray together as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.